This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. If you have your Bibles, you can turn me to our opening text. is Luke chapter 17, verse 28 to 30. Luke chapter 17, 28 to 30. And the seminar is entitled this afternoon, Purity and Passion. Purity and Passion. And so we're going through this seminar on love, sex, and relationships. And we start off this morning on our journey looking at sexual integrity for women, where women struggle with emotional lusting of the heart. And we journeyed on to the men, and we dealt with the physical lusting of the eyes and how to heal from those two things and dealing with the root causes of, of how to heal and experience victory in those areas. And then we're going to move on into this sexual purity for both men and women and especially in the days that we're living in today as well. And then this afternoon, the next one, we take a 15-minute break after this, and we're focusing on something called escaping soul chains or soul ties. And that is focused upon when you have sexual intercourse with someone, and there is a spiritual soul tie that happens between you and that person. And even though you leave that person physically, there's still that spiritual soul tie that ties you for life, even if you get married. So just breaking that soul chains, whether you or your own wrong choices decided to have sex before marriage is there, or you're sexually abused and it was forced upon you, it's still there. So this is how to break free from the soul chains. And then we end tomorrow morning with the last presentation. And that one's going to be on actually the games that men play against women to manipulate them which are different from women, and the games women play against men to manipulate men. That's about that's tomorrow morning. And that kind of climaxes tomorrow morning with all the presentation and builds up for tomorrow morning. And my, my warning is that, you know, use it as a, as a way to see so you won't be played in the player's love game, and also that you won't be a player as well, um, but not as a way, as a tool tomorrow morning to be a player. What do you say? Amen? So, but to be careful about players and everything so that's the program um purity and passion does everyone have a handout if you don't just raise your hand and hope we can get it to you okay you can raise your hand keep it up and my wife can get it to you diamond okay thank you thing on this side thank you diamond okay in order to have oh by the way if you have any questions Please write it down. The first session, we had excellent questions in the end. It was really good. The last session, I think we had a little bit of time left, but we didn't have any questions. So if you had questions from the last seminar, you can still write them down and ask them here because it kind of overlaps on sexual purity. And if you have any questions, just save it for the end. And then I'll just go around down below and you ask the questions. I'll restate it and answer the question as best as I can. In order to have a healthy and happy love life, one must first understand and experience sexual purity. And we shared it this morning that, you know, it's not really spoken about, about as much anymore. Actually, it probably never was. Um, where people are actually talking about sexual purity, the different battles that men experience and the different battles that women experience because we learned this morning that, you know, we're wired differently. God made us differently. We have different hormones that work differently. You know, um, men have more testosterone, women have more estrogen, so they have different sexual battles. And so with these different things, you know, um, we need to be talking about it to our young people. And, and I get it because I understand I'm a parent. I have a teenager. She, never, she always reminds me she's a teenager now, right? She's 13, so she just made it 13. So um, we, we actually felt in, on this trip, we were like, okay, maybe it's time that we, kinda, we need to talk to her about that first seminar I gave this morning about women because that's never talked about. You don't hear it anywhere. So, you know, at lunch, we, we brought it up there. And it's good to have a platform where I kind of present it and she was, had to sit in the class this morning, which was good for her to hear about the emotional lusting. And so we actually had a little conversation at lunch. But think about it, you know, 
it's kind of awkward to talk to your children about it, right, in a sense, right? But it's so needed today that we need to talk to our young people because, you know, they're hearing, I know they're, they're hearing their own stories and they know everything and they're hearing it from their own friends, right? Which is not the best source for them to get information, right? How many of you would agree with that, right? Amen? And the best source is actually from the Word of God. What do you say, amen? And the spirit of prophecy. That's what God wants us to get our sources from. And by the mouth of two witnesses, so every word be established. And the first witness I call to the stand always is the word of God. And the second witness is the spirit of prophecy. What do you say? Amen? So the word is established of what I say. So just that we need to be proactive and not reactive and wait till something happens. And then we address it with our young people. But let's be proactive and then just reach out to them. And even, I believe, even in our schools, our institutions, as people come up to me after our meeting and say, you know, I have no one to talk to. Uh, my family, I can't talk to them about this subject. My school that I attend to has never addressed it. You know, and in churches, I would never hear this topic talked about. Who do I talk to? How many feel that way? What do you say, yeah? I think it's something that needs to be addressed. By the way, it's not, this was not a subject I picked, okay? <laughs> this is the GYC asked me to speak specifically about this subject. Okay, and so I think they actually feel in the committee that this is actually a subject that is needed for such a time as this. And then we can arise. What do you say, amen? And so um, I present that to you that maybe sometimes we need to have, and as in the Hawaii conference, we always say it on the Zeka committee, we always say to have courageous conversations. Amen, amen? No one likes to have them. We like to sweep it under the rug, pretend it's not there, but we really need to have these courageous conversations. Thank you very much. So, with that, if we study the lost principles of sexual purity from the Word of God, may we be open to the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time we can get into your Word, and please, Lord, speak to your people. Move freely among our hearts. Is our humble prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. What was prophesied that the last days right before Jesus would come? Uh, before Jesus comes again, would be like Luke chapter 17, verse 28 to 30. The Bible says, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on a day that Lot went out of Sodom, the Bible says, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is what? Revealed. When Jesus comes again the second time when he's revealed, that when he comes again, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Lot. Now the next question would be like, how was it back then in the days of Lot? Right? Is that a good question? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 19. And let's see in this short story, I'm going to jump around some texts and just kind of look at a, a few texts. Genesis chapter 19, verse 4 and 5. Let's look at the first thing that happened in the days of Lot. How was it back then? Because if we understand how it was back then in the days of Lot, we better understand how it is here in the last days and what we're going through and the sexual purity that we truly need today. The Bible says in 19, verse 4 and 5, it says, Now before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. So these men came around surrounding the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally, that we may sleep with them. So here was something called sodomy, right? This is actually the men surrounding the house and they want to have sex with the men inside of the home. So this was how it was back in the days of Lot. And this is how the Bible says it's going to happen here also in the last days. Are we not here today? And so the angels, and these men who came down, they were actually angels sent down to destroy Sodom because it became so wicked. But the sexual immorality of those days, the Bible says that that's what's going to happen here in these last days. Now, what else happened here? Look at verse 7 and 8. Notice the Bible says here in 7 and 8. The man said, and Lot said, please, my brethren, don't do so wickedly. Don't sleep with these men. That's a horrible thing. Notice what he says in verse 8. See, now I have two what? Daughters. They have not known any men. They never slept. They're virgins. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they haven't come under the shadow of my roof. 
So don't sleep with the men who are my strangers. The custom was, you know, the strangers were very valuable. You take care of them. But sleep with my own daughters. That was the wickedness of the days of Sodom and the days of Lot, right? This was Lot now, right? And that's how it is here also in the last days. Sexual immorality is flowing freely here in the last days. But not only that, you know, you think they're in a city, they got out of the city, they're going to move to the country, everything's going to be great. You know, we live off the grid in the country for 10 years. It was an amazing experience. We loved it. Um, So the the out-of-the-city experience. But I want you to notice that even though Lot and his two daughters moved out of the, the, the city and moved into the country, notice what happens here in verse 32 to 36. The Bible says, Come. They're out there in, in, they're in, the, in the country, and they said, come, let us make our father drink wine. Let's make our father drunk. Why do you want to make your father drunk? Notice what it says here. And we will what? Lie. We will sleep with our own father. That we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made the father drunk that night, and he slept with the father. And the next day, the other one said, you sleep with him, and she slept with him too. And then it goes on, goes on in first. 36, it says, and both, thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their own father. So you're talking about here, as it was in the days of Lot, so it is in the last days. Are we not seeing the same sexual perversion and wickedness and sexual immorality that was happening back then? Are we not seeing it today and actually seeing it as considered to be normal today? Has not the, our new generation... Um, has, has arisen, and the things that were so clearly seen as wrong before are kind of muddled and gray and kind of, maybe it's okay? Do you think that could be possible today? Is that the times we're living today? You believe that? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? So that is what's happening today. And so the sex, sexual immorality that's happening is ruining and pervading through as it was in the days of Lot. The, 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 the sin of Lot was the sin of sexual immorality. And that is the sin that is seen here today, especially in America. And so that's a prevailing sin. Is it not true? Are we not living in a time where we become so immune to sexual immorality that whatever we see in here doesn't even phase us anymore? We're seeing a coming out of, you know, in the news we're seeing all these reports. It's almost like a, a coming out of sexual harassment, right? We're seeing a coming out of people speaking out about um, about being sexually assaulted, sexually abused, people filing charges, coming out. Um, people thought to be morally upright citizens, right? Newscasters, politicians, right? Hollywood, right? Isn't it all coming out right now? And these are the people who are, who, who are women have the boldness to come out and speak out against these people who have so, so much power and they're afraid of and they're, they have fear in their life and they're speaking out against these politicians, against these news, newscasters. Can you imagine about all those people who are not spoken out against? All the women or even men who kept silent or are keeping silent at this time? You're seeing that's happening even today. According to Dr. Tim Clinton of American Association of Christian Counselors, 67% of women have committed at least uh, premarital sex, have, have um, entered into premarital sex, or actually are married and had a um, an affair with someone else. More than two-thirds. Today, honeymoon resorts now, you know, in Hawaii is the honeymoon spot. You know, we're from Hawaii, and we actually honeymoon in Hawaii on a different island. But just that whole, you know, romantic scene, and um, they're actually having to, at the resorts, they're having to create an environment that is so entertaining because, you know, these couples now are coming to the resorts, and it's no longer exciting because they've had so much marital sex. It's not new to them anymore. So when they come to the resorts for a marriage, you know, they have to be more entertained to get through it on their honeymoon. You know, God's people have always been on Satan's special list of attacks. But God has, Satan has a special way he attacks us in order to destroy us. This morning we talked about the different strategy of attacks for women and then a the different strategy of attacks that Satan uses against men. And Satan also has a strategy attack, line of attack, in how he gets God's people to be destroyed. And so if we understand this, we know how he wants to destroy his church today. So let's turn with me, please, to number 24, verse 10. And when asked, we're going to look at King Balak. 
When asked by King Balak to curse Israel, what did Balaam do instead? Look at Numbers 24, verse 10. Okay, so King Balaam hated Israel, and he wanted to destroy Israel. And so um, he asked Balaam to curse Israel. So Balaam came, the prophet, false prophet, and tried to curse, right? And notice what it says here. Number 24, verse 10, the Bible says, Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully, what? Blessed them these three times. In other words, he asked him to pronounce a curse upon the Israelites. But instead of curses coming out of his mouth, what came out? Blessings, right? And so the principle is this. As long as Israel was faithful, as long as Israel loved God with all their heart, and because of this love, were faithful to God, no matter how many curses was cast upon the Israelites, nothing could harm them. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Isn't that beautiful? You know, people don't think that. Like, I go into situations with my family or my friends and um, some supernatural things are happening and they're afraid, they're very superstitious, you know. And so when I'm in situations and they're like, aren't you afraid that, you know, they're going to like, curse you or they're going to cast a spell upon you and all these different things. You know, and Hawaii has a lot of paganism and certain errors. And so aren't you afraid? And said, so, no, as long as you were, were faithful to God, nothing can harm us. And as long as you're faithful to God, God will protect you. What do you say? Amen? And people's curses were turned into blessings. What do you say? Amen? And that's what, how it is. So Balaam tried to curse God's people, but because God's people were faithful, all the curses turned into blessings. So you can, you can live in confidence that God will protect you. What a wonderful God we serve. What do you say, amen? amen? But you know, Satan is smart, and he doesn't give up. You think, okay, well, you know, they're, they're, they're so protected by God and because they were faithful. So, you know, that's the outside, right? So he knows that he has to get them to fall because it doesn't matter how strong the curse is against Israel because whatever has fallen upon them will just disappear and turn into blessings. So Satan had to change his strategy of attack from a different angle. And this is how he destroyed Israel. Numbers 25, verse um, 1 to 3. Notice the Bible says here, what happened to Israel next? The Bible says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of the gods, and the people ate and bowed down to the gods. So Israel was joined to bear up, up PR, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. You see, before that time, Israel was faithful. And so what they did, like, they made a different plan. I said, hmm, I'm going to send our women down into the Israelite camp, and I'm going to have these women become unequally yoked with the Israelites, and I'm going to have to throw a big party, a big celebration, and all the men will come together with my women, and then we're going to flirt with them, we're going to tease them, we're going to make them fall in love with us, and then we're going to have... Uh, sexual immorality. And they married those who become unequally yoked. And so that's what they did. They did all of this, and because of this, then the curses of, of Satan was able to fall upon. In other words, before this time, they were protected. But now because they have fallen sexually, right, then Satan was able to come upon them, and then the curse of, curse of Satan came down upon them, and actually we found out that 24,000 Israelites died because of a plague that swept through the camp where once they were protected, but once the sex immorality came upon God's people, they're no longer protected. And that is a curse that Satan is seeking to destroy God's church, I believe, at this time. And this is a time where we need to arise. What do you say, amen? When God's people need to arise and stand for the convictions that you learned this morning, to have this, the purity of the heart, that we're not women that you are standing, not have the emotional lusting of your heart, but that God will actually take into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. What do you say, amen? And it meant that you would stand strong and be sexually pure in these last days, that God will give you the strength and you see the love of God and you heal from your brokenness and that God will give you the victory over fornication, masturbation, or whatever sins that we have in our life. That's what God wants for you and me. What do you say, amen? Just purity. And that's what happened. What Satan was not able to accomplish with the strongest of curses, 
he was able to accomplish through sexual immorality. And today he uses the same goals. Today uses, Satan uses sexual immorality to accomplish the destruction of God's church. He knows that he would get to God's bride to become sexually immoral, then God's protecting hand would be taken away from his church. What happened in the camp of Israel? Notice what it says in verse 6 to 8. You know, the story doesn't end there because it goes on. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came, presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the congregation, and the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. In other words, they were in repentance. They were, uh, Israel like was 24,000. Can you imagine 24,000 Christians, Adventists dying? There was a repentance in the camp. They're weeping and crying and on their knees in deep sorrow of heart. And they felt like we need something to happen. God needs to work. And so there they were on their, their knees pleading. And in the midst of this pleading, a couple walks up. A man comes up and brings this, this woman unequally yoked, midnight woman, in front of the whole camp, in front of the spiritual leaders and the priests, and he, he met them all, and he brought them out there. And then it says here, now when Phinehas, so, and he went into the tent, and there are, it says here, and when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. In other words, the man went into the tent and they sought to sleep with one another while the whole Israel was repenting. Of their sin. So they're having sex together in a tent. Phinehas, he took a, a, he took a spear, a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. You know, this man had a brash arrogance that he would do such a thing in front of all of Israel and his leaders while they're yet weeping and seeking repentance from God. And it wasn't until Phinehas took the spear and thrust them both through that the plague stopped. And today, the symbolism is still the same. It isn't until we as parents, we as teachers, we as spiritual leaders address and teach sexual immorality and how it's wrong that the spiritual debt that is plaguing our churches will be stopped as well. What do you say, Amen. It's time we bring things out of darkness into the light. Darkness cannot live in the light. What do you say? Amen? As long as we're hiding, as long as we're pretending, as long as we're wearing masks, as long as we're faking things, as long as we're going to the motions, pretending that everything's all right in our churches, when it is not, right? That everything's right in our homes, that everything's right in our, in our schools, our institutions. As long as we're pretending and faking and not being transparent, darkness will continue to thrive. But the moment you become, you share things out in light, you know, there is power when you present things out in light. What do you say, amen? There's something about the light is so powerful. But when you, people, people think that if I hide my secret sins, if I hide my, my sexual sins, if I hide it, no one knows about it, then I'm going to be okay. But the more you hide in the dark, the more stronger that sin becomes. And that's why we need to become open to the Holy Spirit and how God wants to reveal to us, you know, how that he wants to show the light into our hearts. You know, we serve a wonderful God that wants us to see how much he loves us. I want that love. How about you? Huh? Amen? So, um, look at verse, turn me to 1 John chapter 1. I want to share this text with you. 1 John chapter 1. Um, Verse 7. I just felt this was important. I'm adding it in right now. I just feel that this is important about the light. It says here in verse 7, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, you know, become open, transparent, real. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, right? And the blood of Jesus Christ Son cleanses us from all sin. So in other words, if we walk in the light, if we become transparent to how we really are, you know, Laodicea is, thinks they're rich and increasing goods and need nothing, right? They don't need anything. They hide in the dark. They think they don't need anything, but they really need everything. But this, this is someone who feels that they need, when you walk in the light, that reveals that you do need something. You need help. And so you turn to God and become real with yourself, transparent with God, and even transparent with other people, 
and, we've, and actually show that you need for prayer and you need healing. Notice what it says. Two things happen. You have fellowship with one another. The first thing that happens is that when a couple are hiding from one another, and I've seen this happen so many times, they're not transparent. It's almost like I've seen couples where they're pretending to be somebody they're not for so many years that after 10, 15, 20 years, when they finally came to the conclusion, and they actually realized this truth, they began to open up who they really were to each other, the innermost thoughts and feelings, which is one's character. And it's almost like the other person wasn't able, it's almost like they're, they're getting to know their spouse for the first time. And it says, you shall have fellowship one with another. In other, in other words, when you actually open up, there's an intimacy that happens between two people when you open up. That's what the Bible says that Adam and Eve, before sin, they were both naked and what? Unashamed. In other words, they were both transparent, nakedly transparent of who they really were, and they were totally unashamed of actually revealing to their partner who they really were. Isn't that beautiful? Amen? Intimacy. What does intimacy really mean? Intimacy means into me see. <laughs> into me see. Yeah? Profound. Yeah? Isn't that profound? Yeah? Amen. <laughs> but into me see. In other words, allow, we live in a world that is so fake, pretentious. We have to dress up to look a certain way, put an exterior that people are like us. We don't like to, you know, it's almost like how can we open up ourselves? We're so afraid of that people will reject it. We're so afraid that a husband won't like what he sees or a wife won't like it or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Very few people are transparent. I, you know, I people, I, want to, I remember the first time I spoke up, one of the first times I spoke up here in the mainland, um, I was in Oregon, and a person came up to my seminar, up to my meeting, and he said to me, I really appreciate your messages. I go, oh, praise God. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what was it? You know, was it my presentation, my style, the content? And then, and then he said this to me. He said, what I really appreciate about you was your transparency, how you open up your heart, your stories about your life. And I never thought about it. How, how would somebody like your sermon because of your transparency? But he said, and then he said this to me. He said, because you don't hear that. You just don't hear that. And I believe transparency awakens transparency. So if you open up your heart to one another, and that's what it is. It's almost like it's an external form. You know, we got to have using, using sex as a way to, um, to kind of mask that there's an emptiness on the inside. There's an external feeling, experience. And so God wants us to have a good experience. So, in other words, when you're transparent, you have fellowship with one another. And not only that, the second part is, and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us all from, us from all sin. In other words, when we're transparent and we're real, actually our true condition as a sinner, then, and, see, Jesus didn't came to save the righteous. He came to save only those who are, who are sinners, who are in need of a Savior, right? But if we want to admit that we're, in, we're sinners, right, then why would we ever need a physician to be healed? And that's Laodicea's problem. And so actually when we see the light, then, then we're actually going to confess it. And when the, when the darkness comes out into the light, darkness cannot live in the light. And that, that light comes and it actually cleanses and it actually heals you of all sin. What do you say? Amen? You gain the victory over sexual addictions. You gain the victory over addictions in your life, over smoking, alcohol, whatever it is. When you become transparent, there's a power that happens because of that. I want that power. How about you? You believe that? Let me say Amen? Amen? What were we counseled concerning fornication? To, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. The Bible says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let us not even be named once among you as is fitting for saints. In other words, God does not want us to live a life of fornicating, having sex outside of marriage. In fact, the Bible says, let it not even be named once among you. In other words, deal with the issue. Don't pretend that everything's okay. Don't just kind of let go with the floor and let out, you know, just continue to live the life that everyone else is living out there of sexual immorality. God wants people who are pure out there in his church. God wants you to be pure. God wants you to be a, a blessing, to be used by God. And he can use you. 
And the guilt that happens after you fall in sexual sins, it just eats you up. And God wants you to be free, right? Free. If the Son of Man shall make us free, we shall be free indeed. What does he say? Amen? God wants to experience that in our hearts. You know, you can tell. It's almost like the countenances of people. You can see within their faces, like there's, there's pain, there's hurt, there's agony, there's living with guilt and, and, this, and this hurt in their lives. And God wants to set us free from all of that. And that includes the guilt that we experience for the sexual immorality. And I want that in my life. How about you? What do you say? Amen? God does not excuse our sin because of who we are or how good we've been in the past. It doesn't matter you've been living sexually pure for 40 years and you had one night that was wrong in sexual immorality. God still loves you as a person, right? He doesn't hate you, but he hates that sin, that sexual immorality. But he loves the sinner, which is you. What a wonderful God, right? Amen? You know, Satan is the opposite. He loves sin, but he hates the sinner. And God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And that's why he wants to kill you with guilt in your life as well. I hear people say that they fear not having physical relationship. You know, they, they fear that if they don't have sex before marriage, that when they want to get married, they don't want to fumble on the opening night, you know. <laughs> Almost like if sex has to be rated, right? Like, yeah, okay, it's 7.0, right, or 8.5, right? It's kind of like, it's like becomes an external act, right? You got to do a certain way uh, on marriage. But, you know, I believe that as Christians, we shouldn't be focused so much upon being experienced lovers when we get married, but that we're men and women of sexual integrity and purity before our God. What do you say, amen? And that is what is more important. The world has turned sex into a sport, right, to be evaluated and scored like figure skating. But what it lacks is true love. It replaces an obsession with, with an obsession with performance. What a sad replacement. Who cares that your partner can have the ultimate experience when you, on your first night? When at the same time, you don't really care for each other, you're never really happy, or you're always fighting. No, it's a, it's a substitute, an external substitute for the internal intimacy that many people are longing for. Now, what are the effects of sexual sins? Turn me to Proverbs chapter 5, in your Bible, 3 to 11. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 to 11. Notice what happens because of sexual sins in your life, in my life. The Bible says, talking about an immoral woman, it says, you know, this, this actually story is my, one of the texts I used to go to when I was, before I was married, and I was going the wrong direction, and I had my girlfriend, and being sexually immoral, and I just thought about this text, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3 to 11, and it says in verse 3, it says, for the lips of, of an immoral woman drip honey, in other words, it tastes sweet, right? It's very, very attractive, right? And her mouth is smoother than oil. You ever met someone like that? Just flattering you all the time. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Wormwood is actually a herb that's very bitter. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, when you think about that, yes, it tastes sweet as honey, right? But it's bitter. Does that sound like prophecy a little bit here? Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps laid hold of hell. You know, every time I like, almost like be tempted and fall into that direction, I read this again. Oh God, help me, right? Get me out of this situation. Man, these words are very powerful. Her, her feet lead down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Have you ever been in a bad relationship? This bad, emotionally messed up, sexually this messed up, sexually immoral, and they sap the living life out of you. How many been there? I've been there many times. How many see your hands out there? How many been out there? Don't leave me hanging. Come on. Good old Adventist. Wow. <laughs> been there her steps lead to the gates of hell this wasted you look back in your life and you go 
You know, we be, many times you're looking forward and you're young and you want to have an exciting life. It's actually when you look back and go, man, why did I waste all those years and all that pain? Why did I allow that person to take my heart and to trample it and just break it and hurt it and mess me up, right? Why did I do that? And a lot of us living with this regret. But you know, it's good we have this conversation because it makes you think about it, right? That we don't want to go there. And maybe there's a different, maybe some of you are in that relationship right now. It's good we have this courageous conversation because now maybe you're thinking that maybe this text is all about you. And maybe this is a time that God wants to set you free. What do you say? Amen? There's so many people who have been hurt and wasted their life away. Does the Bible just exaggerate on all these different issues? You know, as many people who have suffered, I thought about, if you don't think it's true that they wasted their life, just ask Michelle. 22 years old, she saved her virginity for her future husband. She worked as a model. Her husband was, um, she, um, her husband was attractive, young, and he's determined to steal her virginity away. But she was always firm and faithful to push him away, push him away, until one night on the couch, she finally gave in. Two years later, she's now a single mom struggling to care for her fatherless two-year-old child, one-year-old child. If you don't believe me, then just ask the missionary in Asia that I read about. He was a virgin in his early 30s and two months away from getting married. One night he was tempted, he went down to the red light district of that place, slept with a prostitute, came back home, he was infected with AIDS. Two months later he got married, infected his waiting wife who patiently saved herself for him, and she got AIDS as well. And the both are consumed with the disease of this dreadful disease in their bodies. If you don't believe me, just ask the countless women who maybe didn't have neither illegitimate children or disease, but are scarred with a shame and regret. Another woman shared about, she just wanted to have the liberation of good, clean fun, but who are now reaping bitter results, as we talked about. This describes women who you know, are married now, and they could never have children. They have women who actually, they cannot be held by their husband or their boyfriends in a certain way, because of the sexual abuse they receive in their past relationships. This asks the women who became infertile due to damage done from sexually transmitted diseases. Women had to go under biopsies in order to determine their precancerous conditions. Why don't you ask these women like these if it was worth it? Why don't you talk to the married couples who sinned before marriage and spent years recovering from the bitterness and distress that sold in their hearts because of what had happened before they got married? If it's not enough to make the option of sexual immorality vile, why don't you look into the eyes of Jesus Christ? He's the only one who knows the depth of God's unmerciful wrath against sexual sin, for he bore it all on the cross of Calvary because he loves you. What do you say, amen? See, on the cross of Calvary, all the sins of the world was placed upon Christ. You know with sin comes guilt. Do you know that? And so not only are the sins of the world was placed upon Christ, but on the cross, all the guilt of the world was placed upon Christ. Christ was not only tempted in all points as we are in sexual sins, right? But even on the cross, by the way, Christ was tempted. We separated temptations from sin. We just studied that this morning, right? There's a difference between temptation and sin, so don't get confused. But Christ himself was tempted with sexual sins as well, Absolutely. with sexual thought though he did not sin, right? What do you say, amen? So he understands what you're going through. He made this decision to be faithful and not to fall into that sexual sin. What a wonderful God we serve, amen? And Jesus understands what you're going through. He can help you go through it. He can be there for you. And that's a wonderful God we do serve. You know, on the cross as well, all the sexual sins, in other words, the sins and the guilt was placed upon Christ on the cross, so not only did he bear the sins, he bore the guilt. In other words, he understands the feeling and the guilt as if he had murdered someone himself. Are you following me? That was the sin placed upon Christ. Not only that, but on the cross, he understands 
the sin and the guilt as if he was raped and he had raped someone himself. Are you following me? Because if all the sins of the world were placed upon Christ, he not only bare the sin of what, he had, what we had done, but also the guilt and the shame and the sin itself of actually he had done it himself and sins were done to him. That's what it means for the Lamb. And that sins that was placed upon Christ, it crushed his life out. And that's why he died, we told, inspiration of a broken heart. It wasn't a spear, we told, that killed him. It wasn't the nails that killed Jesus on the cross. It was our sins that killed him on the cross. Why? Because he loves you so much. What a wonderful God we serve. Amen? He loves you. And he understands what you're going through. You're going through a sexual temptation, a sexual sin. He knows what you're going through. And thus he's able to secure, he's able to help you to go through and gain. Because, you know, it's like somebody understands what you're going through. It's like you have a friend that's struggling with alcohol. And you say you never drank in your life and you go to him and say, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't drink and you should just quit because it's so easy to quit, right? What do you think of that friend who tells you that and you're struggling with addiction? You don't know what he's talking about because... He's never been there, right? But if you've been there, you struggle with it. And you can go to someone and say, I've been there. And you can relate. There's something different when you can relate to somebody. And they actually can relate with you, right? And it's a powerful experience. We have a school that we do, a 10-day school on emotional healing that deals with the root causes of all types of addictions, including sexual addictions. And when you heal from these root causes, these sexual addictions, Ellen White says, to reason from cause to effect, the effects of these sexual sins disappears. Okay, you focus on the root causes and hear what does it happen in the past that you need to heal from. And when people experience this healing and the root causes, you know, God can work in a mighty way in your life. And God wants to bring healing into it. And so when you, people came, in this school, people tell me, you know, so powerful that I thought I was the only one struggling with this specific sin until I heard other people struggling with the same thing. And then I felt, wow, I'm not all alone. You ever felt all alone? You feel like you're the only one that going through your own struggles and your own sins and your own addictions? No, you're not alone. Everyone's just pretending that they're not struggling when everyone is sinking. Do you guys know that? We're all in the same boat, right? And we're all sinking, but we're all pretending that we're not sinking. That's what it is. That's the experience that I can summarize a Christian experience, okay? We're on this boat. We're struggling because we're living in a sinful world. We're not in heaven yet, right? We're not. We're pretending we're in heaven, but we're not in. We go to church, but pretend we're in heaven. You know, we get our Bible. Hey, brother, happy Sabbath. God bless you. Amen. Hey, good to see you, right? Don't that we see that kind of thing? And we go home. We're broken. And you know what? We don't even have to go home. We can still be in the car, and our kids can still see us fighting and arguing, mom and dad fighting, and as soon as we get out of the car, what? And we get out of the car, hey, brother, hey, hey, sister, how you doing? God bless you, right? We don't have to go home. We're still in the car. And we're faking it. And that's where we're at. What are we to do? Proverbs 4, verse 23. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, please. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. What are, what are we to do above all things? Proverbs 4, verse 23. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, above all things, what? Keep your heart. Guard your heart. You know, we need to guard our hearts and protect our hearts from giving it out. In other words, we're to keep our hearts with all diligence for out of the hearts are the source of life. We are to carefully guard our hearts and not give it away to just anyone for the source of our life and happiness. We are to save our hearts only for a future husband or a future wife. That is very important. See, whenever you have sex with someone, you're giving a part of your heart away to that person. Do you know that? And then you have sex with another person, you're giving a part of your heart, whether you realize it or not, and you're going to learn that in the next session, you're giving a part of your heart to another person. And you have sex with another person, you're giving a part of your heart to another person. And you keep giving away and away and away. And finally, when you find the, the soulmate, right, they say, or the, the man or woman of your dreams that you want to marry, you're giving so much of your heart away to so many people, you have nothing left to give anymore to the one you want to save it for. 
What special gift do you have to give the one you claim you love with all of your heart on that special night? What are you going to give to them? What can you give to them? That's my question I need. I believe we should ask ourselves. I read a story in a Christian book about a woman who is a porn star, starring all these pornographic movies. And, but this woman did something kind of odd, I thought, was she put in a contract that stipulation that she would do anything, but she would not kiss the other porn stars. Kind of curious why she would want that. She's having sex with all these people on cameras, and why would a woman who gives her body to every form of sexual perversion care about a kiss, right? Does that doesn't make sense, right? The answer she gave was that a kiss was one of the few remaining intimate things she could still give to her boyfriend. She could reserve for him. She felt that since her, she gave her body to so many different men, the one thing she had left was her lips, which she wanted to save for her boyfriend. How foolish. What can you give to their future spouse? When you finally find all these different men who want to take advantage of you, all these women who want to take advantage of you, whatever, if you, and you want to save that one thing, you finally found that one person, are you going to regret your decisions in your life? What are you going to do? When you get married, you want to be able to give your spouse what you haven't given to anyone else so, so show to them that they're special, that they're different from anyone else. I, do you love me? Yes, because I saved something for you I haven't given to anyone. Isn't that beautiful? That you can actually give to someone that you haven't given to anyone else. Doesn't that make that gift much more precious? That you can actually do that? What happens when on your wedding night you want to give your completely yourself to your wife but you've already slept with another woman? What can you give to her that you haven't given to anyone else? How can you prove that you truly love her? What part of your body has not been caressed by other hands? If like this porn star, you're giving your body and your heart away to others, you too may have to come up with something foolish in order to make up for what you cannot give. How far can I go is what people ask. But the question, that's the wrong question. The real, real question should be, how much of my heart can I save for my future husband or wife rather than how far can I go? What do you say, amen? Look at it from a different angle. What do you do with someone? What you're doing with someone, think about this. When you're dating someone, think about this. You are with someone else's future husband and wife. Kind of think about that, yeah? That you want to protect their integrity. And someone else is probably with your future husband and wife, and you hope that they're going to treat them well too, right? What do you say, huh? Amen? There was a boy, they said that he was granted, you know, he, always, he loved Christmas so much, so he said he begged to have Christmas, and the parents were rich, and they spoiled him, and he begged to have Christmas every day. So every day he ran down, and there was a gift under the tree, and he ran there, opened up, it's exciting, he tore it up, oh, I got a truck. Next day, same thing, he ran downstairs, he opened up this present, and wow, a train. Next day, he ran downstairs, he opened up the, this special gift, and it was, wow, some more toys. You know, after a while, the presents got old. Christmas seemed boring. It wasn't special anymore. No longer anything he began to despise the presence. He had thought that he would find happiness in Christmas being unending, but instead he ended up hating the whole entire holiday. Could it be possible that our bodies is the best gift sexually that we could give to the one we choose to love for the rest of our life, to honor and to cherish? Could it be possible that we're opening up this gift before Christmas, day after day after day, the thing that we thought we loved so much, in the end, would be like Proverbs 4, right? Despising the very thing we had wanted to have every single day. Do you think that could be possible? We're opening the gift way too soon. And God wants us to keep it precious and special. I want to be connected with God. What about you? What do you say? Amen? I want to make some covenant challenges to you in your handout. 
Um, I was make, every presentation I was making covenant challenges, and not based upon our promises, but upon God's promises to us. And it says, first one, I want you to covenant to ask God, if you're willing, to reveal his love to you. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? Because love is a power, we told. Love is the agent, by Ellen White says, by which sin is expelled from the heart. That's how we overcome sin. Love, faith with works, by love. Number two, covenant to surrender your life to Jesus Christ every single day of your life because you cannot overcome addiction and sexual immorality on your own. You need to be surrendered to God's love. Three, covenant to carefully guard your heart in order to save it for your present or future husband or wife. If you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? Four, covenant to save your virginity for your future husband or wife. If you believe that, let me say amen. Amen? Five, if you already lost your virginity or if you have already started to have sex in your relationship, covenant to redeem the time and wait till you get married. You believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? Six, covenant to save as much of your heart and body for your future wife or husband. You believe that? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? God wants to experience true intimacy with our current and future spouse. And God wants to experience, first of all, true intimacy with him. We serve a wonderful God. What do you say? Amen. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to, by the way, those of you interested, we have a booth in 205. You have questions about what you want to talk about more, you can meet us at the booth in the exhibition center. Um, but I'm going to open up to Q&A right now, and we have a few minutes left. Okay, so I can open a couple of questions about this seminar, even the one before. Okay, so if you have a question, speak aloud, and I can, go ahead. I saw your hand first. Go ahead. And our... Mm, wow, good questions. You guys always have good questions. <laughs> um, yeah, we, I think in the last session we talked about that, the quotes we looked at, um, like excessive sex in marriage is not good. And I think if you, you like over-abuse, uh, it not only destroys your nervous system, the electrical currents, Ellen White says, within the nervous system, but also uh, it destroys the, uh, the relationship as well. So not too much. Is, is good, so excessive. And also, the balance it off, we did talk about last time where it was, uh, there's some people who actually have emotional pain or sexual abuse from the past they haven't healed from, so that's brought into the marriage, and actually some men or women, they have, they have sexual breaks they press on that actually they don't want to have sex either, right? So that hinders and destroys the marriage because you're not supposed to withhold it from one another, the Bible says, unless there's mutual consent, right? So, but that happens where there isn't always mutual consent within marriages. You're going to find out all a lot. Okay. Um, okay, I saw your hand a second. Yeah. So after the last seminar, I asked, because you were talking about, and you said to come with this one purity and passion. You know, um, the text you read that you covenant with your eyes not to look at certain things. Okay, yeah. And I was saying, in the church, you know, as a husband, a father, and have a young man in my house, and I've met a lot of young men, the way how our young women yeah, good. Okay, good. So, uh, so br brothers and tempting sisters and sisters tempting brothers. And um, actually, I looked over my notes after we talked, and we'll be talking about that actually in tomorrow's presentation. So, good, good question. Uh, I saw one of you. Oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, good question. Um, this is a series I have called Relationship God's Way. There's like 16 presentations, but we go into the dating. This is, they want me to talk more on the sexual side uh, and relationships and love. But um, I deal with it in another presentation, but it's not this time. But um, I agree. The only thing is that I know we use the word court, and there's a specific purpose. 
But um, you know, some people they use they hide behind terminology or oh, we're courting and they're dating, right? So um, some people um, that courting is good and dating is bad, right? But some people date um, like angels, <laughs> and some people court like the devil, right? <laughs> So it's not so much the terminology they use, but actually what they're actually doing, right? So sometimes people hide behind those terminology. But at the same time, there is a principle of courting, which you're bringing out that is true, and which the ultimate goal for courting is to, um, to determine if you're not just doing it for fun. You determine if this is actually a, a person you want to spend the rest of your life with, yeah? And not for selfish purposes, but the ultimate goal is, are we going to be getting together or not? And if it doesn't work out, fine. If it is, then this is God's direction. So there is a principle there that you bring out that is important. Yeah, thank you. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, um, against on a different per- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you put me in a spot, yeah, Shekinah, so. <laughs> you know, I, I think the Bible has principles, and how I look at, at it is every, every couple is different, and you have to apply the principles differently, and you have to be transparent with one another. Sit down, have a courageous conversation with one, with one another, and ask them, where are your boundaries? What do you feel? What's your weaknesses? This is my weakness. Be transparent, be intimate, be real, and then work it out from there because everyone's different too. You know, everyone's higher, certain men have higher testosterone levels, some have less, right? Some have, you know, as we learned this morning, you eat certain foods, it's going to inflame your passions even more. Some of them are eating healthier, so they have lesser, so it just depends. Some of them, I know a couple, they, 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 they're not holding hands, they never kiss before marriage, right? That's the thing they said they're not going to do but they had sex, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, that just happens, okay? So, what I'm saying is that you have to sit down, you have to apply it differently, and you can actually easily make a list and to do it, it look good on the outside, like you are following that list, but yet make it even worse. In reality, be actually, you know, like courting, like I said, like the devil, right? And so... We just got to be real with our God, ourselves, and one another. And I think if we are real and be open and transparent, then God can do a powerful thing. One more question. Message Young People. Message Young People is a good book. My daughter's going through that right now. <laughs> okay, one last question. Go ahead. On your right or your left? No, no. <laughs> Okay, so um, the question was, how do you know if it's too much or too little? Uh, I think the, too much sex in a marriage, right? So I think the national average is twice a week. Um, I think they, they get older in the 50s, it drops to like once a week. But, but that's not realistic because um, a lot of what's going on is that women are lusting emotionally with another person that's fulfilling them and they're not getting from their husbands. They're emotionally lusting. And men are physically lusting on pornography and they're maybe masturbating, you know, releasing another way. So maybe they're not really with each other. So, but I think they're excessive, you know, of all the time. You know, it's hard to tell. I could never, you know, figure it out, this statistics and reading the spirit of prophecy. But um, you know if you're doing it too much and it does wreck out your body and it ruins your health. And um, I know that uh, when you study like our pioneers, and you study like Kellogg when he was talking about the health message and actually sexual excess that they believed. And actually Ellen White and James White wrote a book. I think it's Appeal to Mothers, I think it's called. But they actually, James White, he talks about a lot of the mental illnesses of the people in insane asylums was because of excessive sex and masturbation. So their cures, and I, looked, I did a study on that and they found that um, the lack of, when you sexual releases for men and women, you lose zinc. 
and zinc is very important for mental stability in the mind. Interesting, something to think about. So, um, good questions. I hope that helped answer your question. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we'll take a break, and those are coming back in 15 minutes. We look at escaping soul ties and soul chains, how to heal from our past. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.